I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. Hi, I'm Ricky Lake. I'm Dr. Aaron Eugwin McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm James Goodlatte. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Je m'appelle Rick Safries, et c'est le podcast du gynécologue holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, my podcast family. It's episode 82 of the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, hang on, I got a little fuzz on my tongue. <laughs> Can't do a... An intro with a, a fuzz on my tongue. I've got Doria Kareem. She probably doesn't need much introduction, but that I might be presuming too much. Doria Kareem is the daughter of Ibrahim Kareem, who's a PhD. He's an architect from Egypt. So is Doria from Egypt, because that's her dad. He developed the science of biogeometry. And what he had observed was in his architectural designs, there were certain shapes, certain positions of things that provided a healing quality, a resonant vibration in the home that helped people sleep, it helped them heal, it helped keep their their nerves, their parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems in balance. Kind of sounds a lot like feng shui. A lot of the ancient Eastern traditions have known this all along. And coming from the Near East, it wasn't too much of a stretch. But this is very distinct, biogeometry is very distinct from these other traditions and what biogeometry really is. And you can, by the way, take the foundations course. If you use code beloved 75, you'll save um, 75 bucks off their foundations course. It's an online course. It's like six or seven zoom calls. And there's a lot of practice and, and online modules you read, you, you listen to or and read in the meantime. I loved it. I took it with Doria. She was actually my instructor and I was blown away. It was like from the very beginning using just a weight on a string, a pendulum, and, and, and seeing how your personal wavelength, um, or actually the wavelength to, let's say, the, the positive end, the cathode of a battery, will make the battery, the, the pendulum swing clockwise, and then you flip it, and you get it, it, it just stops and goes in the other direction. Like, this is real stuff. It's very, very, very practical. And you might be wondering, what the hell does a battery have to do with me? Well, you are a polarized organism with all of these waveforms around you. They're coming from cell phone towers. They're coming from your Wi-Fi router, from, from God knows what's out there. All these satellites that are being shot up into space by all these brainiacs out in Silicon Valley. And, you know, plants, they're stationary. Plants grow. And if you walk in the woods, you see a tree grows upward and then, bam, it like takes a beeline left, 90 degree left, goes up again, takes a beeline right, and then starts going vertical again. It's growing around a, an area that is not conducive with life. But we're mobile organisms. So what can we do in our homes? What can we do in our persons? Can we wear specific jewelry, etc., in order to balance out and mitigate the potentially harmful effects of this EMF and these other waveforms that are not natural? These are man-made waveforms. And the plants know to grow around these things. But humans, we move. 
So fortunately, Biogeometry is out there through the Foundations course. Again, beloved 75 gets you 75 bucks off, which is amazing. Very generous of, of the team over at Biogeometry to give me that code. You learn about the, the physics of quality, which is really what Biogeometry is all about. I'm going to read a little quote, a little ditty from their website. Biogeometry is the patented science of using the energy principles of shape to qualitatively balance biological energy systems and harmonize their interactions with the environment. Balancing the activities of daily life, achieving harmony with our inner and outer environments, humanizing modern technology, and integrating science and spirituality is the work of the science of biogeometry. Bingo. That's it. It's amazing. Doria's father has written a few books. One is on biogeometry uh, signatures, which are really these these very delicate little signatures that are engraved in like, for example, the biogeometry pendant that you always see wearing, that I'm always wearing around my neck. You see them engraved there. Each of them corresponds with a different organ system in the body as just an example. So remember, he's an architect. He found that, wow, these, these specific little designs can actually help resolve liver issues, kidney issues, our nervous system issues, etc. So Doria was generous enough to come on the show and talk a lot about the science of biogeometry and how to mitigate EMR. There's a lot of people out there who, who invest a lot of money in blocking EMF, but you can't always block EMF. You still have to go to the grocery store. You still have to go to bed. And if you have a Wi-Fi router on in your house and you need to keep it on, is, are there certain technologies that we can use in order to mitigate the potentially detrimental impacts of these technologies? And the answer, of course, is yes. So in this conversation, which is wide-ranging, it's actually a very lovely conversation <laughs> because Doria is really, really good at just like breaking these things down, making them so easily digestible. She also has a, they have an online store where you can buy a home balancing kit, which helps to balance out your electrical boxes, your water input to your home. Um, it helps, they have this beautiful cube that has all these little signatures engraved in tiny, tiny, tiny scripture all the way around this beautiful glass cube. I've got two of them in my house, one in our, our home in our kitchen, and then one in our garage, which is just underneath me now, below my studio. You can go to uh, belovedholistics.com slash shop, and there's a, a unique link there, will help, which will get you 8% off of your purchase. And um, yeah, Doria is the real deal. So fortunately, she came on the show. We talk everything there is to know, really, about biogeometry, the history, how some of these technologies have been used around the world to fix everything from agitated small towns in, uh, in, in Switzerland to mitigating miscarriage rates and mastitis rates amongst um, cow populations in some of these European cities. Really, really fascinating work. So you're going to love this one. We do have two sponsors. The first is Fit for Birth. No stranger to the show. They've been sponsoring us for a long time. I am, I am dedicated to getting their message out. Men and women are very different. And women in the pregnancy and postpartum period specifically require special training if anybody's going to be coaching them on nutrition or exercise. You, you've heard my episode with Lily, Lily Nichols, the author of Real Food for Pregnancy. I think it's hands down the best book written on nutrition. How do we apply that for your specific needs? And how do we combine exercise in? Forget what your doctor and midwife said. Don't exercise. You're delicate and fragile in pregnancy nonsense. You have to move. And if you heard my last episode with Alex Rubchinsky, keeping all of the facets, all of the little articulations in your vertebral column, keeping those lubricated, keeping your, your spine mobile is going to help improve innervation and blood flow 
to your pelvic organs, helping to support your pregnancy, helping to support your menstrual cycles, etc. And it's not just your pelvic organ, organs, of course. Movement is life. So at Fit for Birth, they train healthcare professionals, they train coaches, check practitioners, etc. on a very, very specific modality of training pregnant and postpartum women in exercise and nutrition. So whether you're a pregnant or postpartum woman looking for coaching or you're a coach wanting to expand their toolkit, go to getfitforbirth.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on all of their programming. James Goodlatte, the owner, has been on my show. I think it was episode 70, if I recall. Go and listen to this guy talk. He is a wealth of knowledge. And one really important point to remember is that Exercise is, the, is one of the only factors that has been clinically, clinically demonstrated to reduce the risk of pregnancy complications, including fetal growth issues, placental issues. It's been shown to um, get you closer to your, your guest state as to when you actually go into labor, at least not having to wait until 42, 43 weeks. As my Mexican mother-in-law always told us, hey, if you want your baby to come, clean your kitchen floors. And that's because it, it's, it's an active movement, complex movement, rotation, extension, flexion, etc. It also improves, uh, decreases the likelihood of you having a bad perineal laceration because your pelvis is super mobile. The baby doesn't have to push through soft tissue because the pelvis opens up and then closes. Um, just after birth. It also improves your postpartum recovery, your anxiety, decreases the risk of depression after birth. I mean, exercise is everything. So go to getfitforbirth.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on all of James and his team's offerings there. And our other sponsor, of course, is Bioptimizers. Of all the things that I preach about, the one thing people neglect most in their health is sleep. I recommend seven to nine hours. I recommend getting some blue light gloss, uh, blocking glasses like you, those you can find at Gilded. I have a link for that at belovedholistics.com slash shop, where you're also going to find the unique discount code for um, the biogeometry shop, where you can get the pendant, the, L, the L90 pendant, the biogeometry signatures pendant, your home balancing kit, etc. Go there. You'll find a unique link in order to get a discount there. But uh, I digress. Of all of the things that people are neglecting, it's sleep. So once you've blocked out blue light, once you've you've minimized the time you're spending in front of a computer or cell phone right before bed, once you've you've sort of gotten your family into a rhythm where you know you start to slow down and ease into sleep, you might still be having issues with either falling asleep or feeling rested when you wake up. So here's what I want you to try. I want you to go to magbreakthrough.com/holisticobgyn, buy a bottle of magnesium breakthrough. Take two capsules with a tall glass of water 30 to 45 minutes before bed. And I want you to let me know how you feel in the morning. After a couple days of doing this, you're going to say, whoa, I have never felt this rested. That's because Mag Breakthrough contains seven distinct types of magnesium, helping you fall asleep and stay asleep, feeling you're most rested the next day so you can hit the ground running and get back to all of those things that are probably keeping you up uh, at, at night in the first place. At the website, magbreakthrough.com slash you can buy one bottle and try it out. You're great. You're going to get better sleep. Better yet, if you buy three bottles or more, you're going to have extra freebies that Bioptimizers is going to send you at no extra cost. If you buy three bottles, you're going to get their Masszymes and their P3OM. Masszymes is a digestive aid, and uh, P3OM is the Navy SEAL of probiotics. I use them almost on a weekly basis. I'm using at least one Bioptimizers product, and I've had so many clients who have reported back and said, oh my gosh. This is not even that expensive. Thank you, Bioptimizers, for making these products. If you buy five, pro- five bottles of Mag-, Mag Breakthrough or more, they're going to throw in an additional HCL. 
Um, HCL breakthrough is basically stomach acid in capsule form. And when you go to your doctor and you say, I've got heartburn, I've got reflux, whatever, what they're going to do is block your acid. They're going to use histamine blockers and they're going to use PPIs and they're going to say pop tums like their M&Ms. Well, what that does is it doesn't fix the problem. The issue with reflux with heartburn is not too much acid. It feels burny because your food is not being digested. So you need to actually add extra acid in order to achieve full digestion so the food can pass down into the small intestine as opposed to refluxing back into the esophagus. So the addition of HCL with a product like HCL Breakthrough is probably what you need, not some additional, you know, uh, bubblegum flavored Tums. So go to magbreakthrough.com slash holisticobgyn, get some Mag Breakthrough, get some of these freebies, which are available for a limited time, very generously through Bioptimizers. You're not going to regret it. I don't, I don't even bring on sponsors that I have any doubt about their products. Because I use these myself, I can feel comfortable recommending them to you. And if you support our sponsors, they're going to continue supporting the show. And we can have more guests, more incredible guests, just like our guest today, Doria Kareem. I've talked enough. Let's get into my conversation with Miss Doria Kareem. Well, Doria, welcome to the Holistic OBGYN podcast. First off, thank you so much for taking some time out. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. You are six hours ahead, correct? In Cairo? Yes. I think six, six or seven hours. We're 4.30. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Six hours. I just finished training with Doria and her team at Biogeometry, which is the uh, sort of baby of your father, Ibrahim Karim, who I actually got to know his work through a mutual friend of, of yours, uh, yours and mine, Paul Check. And when I first heard about biogeometry, I have to tell you, I was, I was quite skeptical. I come from this Western reductive medical model. Of course, I've got my toolkit and I'm very, very skeptical to try something outside of that toolkit. At least that was me several years ago. And then I realized, oh, wow, my pharmaceuticals and surgery can't do squat for many people. And especially when we talk about a lot of these chronic illnesses and this sort of, um, I don't know, what I've now come to realize is a lack of harmony with our surroundings. And, um, and that goes to everything from the extra electromagnetic radiation we're constantly bathing in to our complete disconnection with nature, to our disconnection with one another, to our disconnection with self. So when I found out, I found your work, um, I was very intrigued. And then you and I connected somehow. You invited me to take the course. I took the course. And I think after five seconds in, I was like, I'm in. There's something to this. Um, so we'll t- let, why don't we talk a little bit about the foundations training? But first off, what, what is this biogeometry phenomenon? And I imagine we're on an elevator to the 36th floor. You've got just a couple minutes to help somebody understand because this is very confronting stuff for people. So let's start with that. So, I mean, we mentioned my father and based on your audience, um, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in. I'd say not completely from the beginning, maybe right um, smack in the middle, like yeah. you said, we, the <laughs> elevator is uh, going up. So if we, if, if somebody there is, um, anybody has a background in energy work, then um, they might understand that in any type of energy work, energy is classified, right? So you can have yin yang energy, female, male energy. So my father uh, when he started um, studying this idea of energy, he was introduced to it. He was asked to renovate um, museum, uh, a museum related to ancient Egypt. 
And he was shown different pendular instruments and different, uh, he was shown different methods that were revived in a school that's called French Redestesia, based on um, ancient Egypt, where energy would be classified uh, according to color qualities. So a, a, good, uh, a good example of this is anybody who's seen a chakra chart, and they see that our chakras are classified according to different colors. So it was a way to place, um, it's found in a lot of different energy work. We call this the law of similarities. So I could place different types of any type of energy quality into one of, depending on how many boxes you're using. I mentioned yin yang, female, male, you could divide everything into two. Whereas in French anesthesia, they were dealing with colors being a seven or 12 color scale. Mm. So starting from there, my father was an architect or is an architect. Um, and once he received the knowledge of this work, and it really was serendipitous events that led to this, he started focusing on the energy of sacred power spots. And he started looking at, now, of course, um, coming from Egypt, being Egyptian, one of these is, of course, the pyramids. <laughs> and so we understand the energy, not only the energy of the sacred power spot, but the shapes relating to it. In the French Redestesia work, there was already reference to specific energy qualities or color qualities that you would find at a very high level for people who were spiritually connected. So it was um, in tombs of saints, for example. So he started looking at, okay, so other than uh, in reference to people, what about in locations? And so the birth of biogeometry actually started with the identification of three color qualities that we find in a sacred power spot. And this is, this is what we refer to in biogeometry as BG3. And it's the cornerstone of everything we do because it's what allowed us to unlock and be able to study all different types of energy work and all different types of rituals and approaches from all over the world. Because we, when we talk about energy abstractly and we step back and we understand BG3 as a centering energy quality, we find it at the core of ancient building practices, yeah. rituals. Um, and one, the reason we call it a centering energy quality is because there's many examples of it. But for example, if we go to a sacred power spot, regardless of what we're facing, whether it's under activity or over activity, these become locations that help bring us into balance. They're beyond duality, beyond dosage. And so briefly, biogeometry is all about how we can recreate that in our space and in our bodies. So when you look at the pyramids, and I think that it still seems somewhat controversial as to how is this actually possible, right? And people look at the, the size of the pyramids, which, by the way, are not four-sided. They're eight-sided, which we learned in the course. There's these notches at each of the four sides in order to enhance this, this vibrational energy. But what I think is really quite... Uh, did I say that correctly? <laughs> okay. So to guys, I'm still learning this because this is, if it's confronting for you, it's even more confronting for me having been a scientist my whole life. But in just demonstrating with some of these basic practices, you already see it. You see an instant difference in your surroundings. So there's something really to it. So you just have to bear with us for this conversation. What I think we confuse in the West is that you go to the pyramids because the pyramids are sacred, but that's actually not the case. 
it's the pyramids, which are these incredibly magnificent structures, were built on these power spots because the spots themselves, if anything is, I'm using air quotes, sacred, it's the spot itself that was selected for the reasons that you just described. So the buildings are special because they're placed and designed in a way that enhances the vibrational quality of that spot. Is that, am I summarizing that? That's it specifically. And it goes back again to many different types of uh, building practices, whether it was um, identifying a power spot and placing something like a dolmen um, over it to help expand that energy quality um, or um, sorry, I mean, here a dolmen was more of a gate shape that you would place and then you could build a hill over it. Uh, so you see examples of menhirs that may come to mind would be something like uh, Stonehenge structures, um, or you would have things like pyramids, domes in um, in later architecture of things like church and and temples uh, and, and things, uh, yeah, temples as well. Um, we find uh, in in a lot of the uh, practices as well, we find that a lot of times the entry and exit of the temples were placed on uh, spots that have a specific energy quality to enhance it as well, mm. as well as the way they move through the temple, the ritual associated with it. A lot of these were tied to the specific energy qualities of the site. And so what we try to do is, is say, okay, so we want to make sure that when we take a ritual or take a structure and try to rebuild it, that we, we're not losing that it's actually based on the energy of the site. Hmm. So what is a power spot for people that don't know? It sounds a little woo-woo, new age, because a lot of people are using these buzzwords, but why is it, what is a power spot? What is happening at this power spot and why is it important? So for us, um, it goes back to when we look at the definition of a sacred power spot, uh, we look at locations that have been sacred since the dawn of humanity. Mm. And you find that even as civilizations change, these locations stay the same. A lot of times as well, the rituals associated with these locations stay the same. Now, bear in mind as well that we, um, once the energy quality of the spots was identified, this was another way to further uh, study them and and interact with them and find that this same energy quality has a similarity um, all across these power spots throughout the world. So places known for pilgrimage, um, where you places where you have healing oracles, and when we look at how these spots were even identified, they were they go beyond beyond specific beliefs because we see that even animals can identify them. Places where animals would go for healing, and the the reason we actually call it a centering energy quality uh, is very the word centering is used a lot, but in biogeometry it has a special meaning. Because if we take a circle Mm. and we begin to measure where we find this power spot in a circle, because remember, again, being an architect, of course, it was, hey, how can I, how can I translate all of this as well into shapes? Right, right. And so it was at the center of, um, it's, we find this energy quality at the center of the circle. Now this becomes interesting because the center of the circle doesn't exist. It's beyond time and space. If I draw a circle. And then I put a dot right in the middle, then the BG3 energy quality becomes in the center of the center. And then we also find it in the body, for example, in all the chakras, all the acupuncture points. Mm -hmm. We find it as the goal of many specific rituals. And these practices are far more ancient. 
uh, far older and, and dare I say, better tested and experimented with than our 500-year run of Western medicine, which, you know, has its purposes. Like if you go and you're, you, you slice open a big giant artery, we're not going to BG3 our way out of that. We still need surgeons and sometimes pharmaceuticals and things. But what this is, what I'd love for everybody who's a little confused about this, think about how like a plant grows or a tree grows. There's a certain pattern as to how the tree grows. Why does the tree branch at this point? Why is this tree extending this way? And that's because of this greater field that is surrounding us and our polarized biological organism needs to figure out how it fits into this grid, so to speak. So when I you mean, talk, yeah, go ahead. Just sorry to, to cut in here. No, but one okay. of the conversations we've had to we've had to kind of bring up is just being in the world of world of subtle energy, and this uh, this concept of uh, getting standards for subtle energy, or what we would like to refer to maybe as environmental harmonization from a biometry perspective. And there's when we when we do our work, we do. There's certain types of specific, if we want to call it Western or traditional type of research and metrics that we do um, meet, right? So we have, uh, we have all types of different research that we do, whether it's, for example, using shapes to restore serotonin levels in depressed mice or, or helping raise poultry without antibiotics using shapes. I mean, we, we do have um, research that meets the standard requirements, but now we come in and we say, okay, so we have the research to show the effect of subtle energy. Early on, my father, who was advisor to the Minister of Scientific Research in Egypt, uh, biodometry came, I'm not going to say under attack, but people said, well, are we really going to have somebody who's doing this woo-woo practice being advisor to the Minister of Scientific <laughs> And so, so the... The minister came out and said, and he said, okay, so set up the experiment for him and, and let's see what happens. And out of that experiment, he got a document saying um, shapes have an effect on biological functions. <laughs> so from that, now we understand, okay, so let's, let's assume that we are meeting that all, and I'm not saying also energy practices out there are. But once we have the metrics for Western or, or traditional medicine, what we're trying to say is, what are the metrics for subtle energy? How do we know? Now that we know, so like you're saying, there's a lot of um, people out there, and I guess with the shift that you took as well in your career, yeah. who understand that this path is good, but maybe there's more that I can offer that less people are offering. And that is filling in a gap that maybe we're finding that we can't support our patients in, for example, right. or that there should be more to than this. And of course, being in um, dealing with birth and death, <laughs> well, I can I can easily see how that can come in. So now the idea is how do we create the standard language, the standard metrics to understand how we can do that? Is it possible to have both? Mm. Is it possible for somebody to understand that um, I can I can make the best of the technology out there, of all of our advancements out there, but that doesn't mean that I can't bring back certain ways. And I'm not saying to bring back the specific rituals, 
or things that were done in the past. I mean, the specific ways of approaching the body yeah, um, in its holistic nature. And I think that's the idea that we're trying to, to push for. Why don't we talk about a couple of the actual devices that, that you and your father have been using and teaching people um, about mm-hmm. through some of your coursework. I, for anybody out there who's, who's, you know, been involved at the Czech Institute or knows Andy or Paul Czech, like I do, I was, of course, their OBGYN, and so I didn't know about biogeometry until I met them, but I still had this sort of something within me told me that there's something more going on here, like you said, because of, of being present with birth and death, and that also recaptivated my interest. If we can just reduce everything down to blood work and imaging studies, it doesn't be, it's not fun anymore, you know, because now we're expected to have the answer but we're not actually getting anywhere with regards to improving a person's life, or like I say, improving their ability to harmonize with their surroundings, because that's what dis-ease really is. It's not mm-hmm. that you've got a foreign invader that's out to get you. Cancer is a great example of that, or autoimmunity is actually something derived from you, and your body is responding to something in the environment that's telling it we need to be hypervigilant, or we need to grow out of control in the case of cancer. So there were these questions that I couldn't answer through the lens of Western medicine. And when I found Paul and Angie, I noticed they were all wearing these pendants. And I'm, I'm wearing it right now. I've got an L90, and I've got the signatures pendant, the biogeometry signatures pendant. There's a lot of people out there that are wearing this. And I don't think many of us are, are, are able to, to, to really um, help you know, lay people, for lack of a better terms, understand why we're wearing it. But let's talk about the pendant. Let's talk about what is having this on my neck nearly 24 hours a day, apart from when I, when I take it off to charge it. What is this? What, what is this? Incre- it's a beautiful piece of jewelry, by the way, too. So, so what is this? Like, what have you guys come up with here? So I'll, I'll explain uh, the concept of what we call bisignatures. And uh, if I had to guess as well, because you mentioned Angie, I would guess that if you asked her her favorite part of biometry, she would say working with biosignatures because yeah. she loves it. So many stories. Yeah. yeah. And um, what the biosignatures are. So when we when when looking at the body, um, I think a good way to explain it is those who are familiar with um, the concept of meridians and meridians being energy lines that are running through the body. And so if we look at every single organ shape. So now not looking at the whole body, looking at every single organ shape, we find that every single organ shape has its own set of, if you want to say it for a lack of better word, meridians or energy lines. Mm -hmm. And we're, then we use the concept of the pendant is actually a resonance of shape. So whenever we have any kind of movement or any kind of, whenever we even just draw a line, it's a cycle. Right? And so what we've even discussed in class is even if I was to draw a line in uh, from right to left or left to right, their energies would differ because mm-hmm. we would be able to measure the beginning of the line and the end of the line. And so once we understand this concept as well of resonance of shape, where just like for two tuning forks um, that enter into resonance, two tuning forks that are the same entering into resonance, uh, when you hit one, the other one begins to vibrate. Right. It's actually the same idea. When we come in and we introduce, looking at these energy lines, we introduce the shape of the the, um, the energy lines running through each organ into the energy field of the body, you start getting a resonance between them mm-hmm. and they begin to affect each other. And then what we do is 
all of these energy lines that are traced, because then there's this idea of, okay, so we can take the human body and trace the specific energy patterns of that human body. But um, we don't have a perfect uh, specimen. So the way that we actually um, approach this is by making sure that every single, what we call biosignature or energy pattern, has the centering quality of BG3 within it. And then you bring it close to the body and you start getting corrective functions of different energy patterns. And you actually see this as well a lot in, um, not exactly the same way, but in ancient Egypt, you see this concept of, uh, of resonance of shape through what they would call archetypal templates. Mm-hmm where they would take, they would draw the body in specific proportions. And those proportions would also be giving EG3. So you could have something like a 10 by 16 or 10 by 19 grid that they would use on temple walls. And then using those um, specific proportions, they would then draw the body that would give us this window to the, if you want to think of it as the blueprint upon which we're built, And then they would carve the likeness, if it's a sculpture, they would carve the likeness of the pharaoh into that sculpture to help connect the pharaoh back to this original template and bring in this energy quality. So the pendant is doing this in a way that when we achieve not just having an understanding of the energy patterns of the body, but understanding how to create that window by having each pattern have BG3, then we get that creative function when the pendant is next to the body. Yeah. And I know just, just kind of to, to tie it back in as well for everybody to, to understand really the birth of the pendant. Um, the birth of the pendant was actually in a hepatitis C study. So it was, we were there in, in Egypt, there was a large, um, there was many cases of hepatitis uh, C And there was a large comparative study of all solutions out there. We were invited to be a part of the study. I say invited because technically we're not something you ingest, not topical. Um, Do you think they wanted to just disprove it? Like, let's throw it in there and we'll we'll show how how inferior it is. (laughs) I mean, I'll say it wasn't to prove it. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) They had some other motive, yeah. (laughs) Because actually what ended up happening is the study was divided into three phases. And once uh, the, res- the, the initial results of the study came out, um, biogeometry was performing at 90%, whereas interferon, which was the highest at the time, was performing at 30%. Uh, and then the study was shut down due to lack of funding, supposedly. But people called the university to try to, um, to, try to, to give funding to continue the study. The university said, if you give money to the university, you can't choose where it goes. You can't allocate it to a study. Uh, but we were lucky because what ended up happening is actually the head of the medical department of that university, he was just so surprised that he went out on national television before the study ended. And he said, we're getting results. We're doing everything according to the standards, you know, the, the double blind testing. We're getting the results. Um, you know, we had, uh, I think it was around 200 um, patients and those who were able to pay for the viral clearance testing, at least 60 or 70% showed viral clearance. <laughs> um, and then 90% 
uh, showed normalizing of uh, liver enzymes. But again, he went out and he said, and this is actually, um, we have the excerpt as well on our YouTube channel. He said, we have a science here. We have results. We need to study it. Um, and that's actually, if it wasn't for that, that study wouldn't have been known. Yeah. And that's actually the birth of the pendant because people showed up at the office the next day because now they wanted to get the pendant and see um, and see the results for themselves, but we didn't have it at the time. And this is why we started producing it. And it's very, very similar to the pendant that uh, we're both wearing now. Yeah, um, yeah. And the only difference is that one had a larger focus on just the liver biosignatures. Yeah. Just had them repeated a, a few extra times. I think one thing that we really struggle with in the medical community, because there's a lot of medical people that are going to be listening to this, but one thing we always struggle with is we like to understand the mechanism before we test it to confirm our bias with the outcome that we are hoping for, right? Like with a pharmaceutical. But I always tell people like, you know, if, if you were going to jump out of an airplane and I said, if you wear a, if you, if you wear a parachute, it's going to make it more likely that you survive when you hit the ground, they would say, well, show me the evidence, you know, like they wouldn't say, show me the evidence, right? Because we know through our observations of the world that, hey, it's probably a good idea to slow your descent so you don't hit the ground at like a thousand miles per hour or whatever terminal velocity is. What I love about what I learned through the foundation's um, uh, curriculum was that your father already knew that this was working. He had been experimenting with it his whole life as a professionally and otherwise. And it wasn't until somebody started, it started gaining traction that somebody said, you know, we can't say that this works because we, we don't have the evidence. But he's like, but look at the outcome. In other words, you see people floating down gracefully versus splatting on the ground with a parachute. There must be it. You don't have the mechanism yet, but you have to acknowledge that there are positive outcomes here. And, sure. and that's, that's backwards, you know, from the way that the, in the West we like to test drugs and everything. But it doesn't change the fact that we have a good outcome. So now that we have a good outcome, your dad didn't need to do this, but he was like, sure. Okay. Let's also demonstrate it through a randomized control trial against your best, your best drug. And of course there was a good outcome, but people are still confronted by, I can't see how it works. I don't know how it works. So without taking the foundations program, you know, class, they may not really ever get that. But what do you tell people about the, what do you tell people who are like, this is just woo woo. Well, there's a few things I would say to, to address here. Um, somebody that doesn't know biogeometry, uh, I'd say, I mean, our first foot forward would be to show the research. We're lucky enough that in Egypt, um, being a, not just being, my father isn't just professor of architecture, but my grandfather was actually, he's, he's the founding father of modern architecture in Egypt. Uh, did city planning for so many um, places uh, around the world that uh, that it it is a bit of a, a prestigious position that um, a lot of colleagues and and people we kind of have. My father would know them in the university as well, and so just through that, it's allowed for students to do their masters and PhDs in biogeometry, and that's been a big leap because for the first time. In a university setting, there's been a leeway where they're letting architecture students connect with the medical department for testing. And so that's a new kind of leap. 
So there's always, I mean, I think our, our first um, foot forward is always just to show uh, the research. Now, my father's first foot forward in a, in a meeting has always been when people ask, um, how does it work? He always says, you know, come back and ask me after you've seen the results. Yeah. Because that's when we know somebody's going to be more open. Bingo. I think that comes from when he was in the position of having to show this concept of shapes having a biological effect. And and um, and he got that document, like I mentioned, from the different uh, scientists, uh, government scientists at the time who had created the experiment for him of it was um, it, it was had to do with a growth rate of I don't know exactly what um, in a petri dish, and when he succeeded in affecting that growth rate, their first thing was to say the experiment is flawed. <laughs> uh, and at that time, the the minister himself said, "You don't need to repeat this experiment because they're the top of they're they're at the top of their game of scientists." So. Um, if they created a flawed experiment, we have a much bigger problem yeah. than that yeah. geometry. Um, yeah. But my father repeated it. And this time, rather than, you know, two samples, they did like 20 with everything sealed. And then when he got the results and he got the paper saying shapes have an effect on biological functions, um, the minister did want to and did actually start funding a lab to study this. But because of our mindset, the people that were assigned to work with him weren't very much interested in learning how this works. They were very much interested in this doesn't fit into that's right. My current paradigm. So I'm going to chop it off. Yeah. And this is actually something that comes up a lot. Um, when we discuss this shift from right brain perception to left brain perception and the right brain perception. And this is one of the things that we actually explain when we talk about understanding energy and understanding ancient cultures is a lot of times um, when people ask us about ancient Egypt, we only, we say that we're only going to comment on the things that we've actually been able to measure and assess because everything else, we look at ancient man as a type of different species. Hmm. When we understand this concept of shifting from right brain to left brain perception. And so a lot of the work that we do, and I think a lot of actually what the medical space needs is understanding that there is a difference between what we would call this analytical um, perception versus the holistic perception of the right brain. There's a difference between them and there's some really good um I mean, there's there's two videos. One is a stroke of insight, where it was, a, I think, a neuroscientist who yeah, Jillian Bolt, something like that. Yeah. yeah, incredible, incredible story. TED Talk, I think, is the one you're referring yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, it's a yeah. TED Talk, and um, and then she explains the different how her perception shifted when she had her stroke, and and this concept of of seeing really. She even says like seeing things as energy and connected, not seeing where her body ends and the environment begins. Um, mm. and, and so when we understand this shift and we understand that we might be more, it, we might be today expressing ourselves more throughout the left brain perception, but both exist within us. Yeah. And what we're trying to actually do is understand the body through both perspectives. 
And the idea now is that it's not that the left brain perception is inferior to the right brain perception. The left brain perception is the one that gave us a lot of the achievements, if we want to think of them as that, the achievements of our modern civilization. But it was at the expense of closing the door to the right brain. Bingo. So now the idea is how do we just open that door and add to our current worldview versus that we're pitting one against the other. And so one of the things, for example, that we um, we even look at is if we look a lot. So, for example, I mentioned uh, chakras in the beginning. Yeah. If we even look at our approach, I'm not just talking about um, any type of Western medicine. I'm talking about even our approach in energy work. A lot of times when we are looking at something like chakras and somebody could tell you your chakra, they're going to tell you, okay, let me look at your chakras and see what's going on and try to adjust it. Um, but that is a very type of left brain perception mm-hmm. approach because it's a one-way approach. Right. It's understanding, okay, so we've gone so far to understand that these are a window. But we haven't gone so far to understand that, okay, so they are um, a window to look in, but their actual purpose is to look out. (laughs) And so the environmental aspect in biogeometry is so important. And it's actually why a lot of practitioners end up coming to biogeometry because they don't know how to address the environmental aspect, how to place the body in an environment where it's thriving. And now the only way that you can do that is through that centering energy quality. Right. Because other than that, you're going to be dealing with polarized energy qualities. Now that concept is anything that is beyond polarity is too difficult for us to articulate or understand or, or express um, in, in specific ways. But the mechanism itself, I mean, I would say that um, one of the methods that we use to study the body is physical radiesthesia. And so you'll find a lot of times by geometry practitioners using pendulums mm-hmm. and by geometry students using pendulums. And a lot of times when people just see the pendulum, it's kind of a turn, <laughs> turn up. Um, but as you know, we use it in a different way. So when I say, for example, tracing energy in the body, we actually have pendulums that are just like tuning forks where Each tuning fork has a specific frequency, can resonate with a specific note. We have pendulums that are adjusted to specific um, qualities, color qualities, or specific lengths. And with each pendulum that you pick up or each length that you use, like a tuning fork, you are resonating with a different energy. And so you can actually use those. You just go over the body to trace the energy of the body. It's not that we are in any way um, entering into a dialogue with the subconscious. Right, not asking questions. Yeah, which is usually what pendulums are used for. What we're actually doing is training the body to um, stop and zone in on one energy, be able to focus on that. And then when you can focus on just that energy, then you can measure it. Right, right. So... um... Man, we can go so many directions here. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I, I, I get, I have the opportunity to to again go back to the to the plants. Plants are are stationary, 
but we know that they have this etheric body, which is the, the sort of center of thinking and thought. They're intelligent beings. They may not be able to talk to you, but neither can the Labrador. The plants, however, do show intelligence in other ways. And um, one thing that we talk about in the class is, what if there is this grid line right through the center of a forest? You'll see that trees will grow in these funny ways with strange gnarled limbs and whatnot. Are they possibly privy to something that we're just not opening up our, the, you know, our, our, our eyes to, <laughs> whether it's the eye of the soul or our, our you know, other perceptive centers? Because perhaps that plant is growing around an area that is, while it's invisible to us, this plant is in tune with the greater field and knows that, oh my gosh, that is a pace of, let's, for lack of a term, pathology, and I'm going to grow around it. We as humans are walking through a world, and not only are we distracted by so many things and maybe not perceiving these grid lines, whatever else, which might actually be a good thing, as you've demonstrated in your class. If you're in tune with those grid lines, that might not be a good place for you to be, you know, going to sleep at night and, and feeling like, ah, pathology, you know. But, but um, as we're moving through the world, we are not stepping cautiously over these laser beams that the plants are otherwise detecting. So we wear these pendants, or we have, you have a cube as well, this cube set up for the, for the home, um, little attachments for the electrical boxes, etc., that come with, with the home kit that you can get on the website. But the purpose of these things is to make it so that no matter where you move in your surroundings, and you've even got it on your on your neck, right on your heart, or you know you can color balance your water bottle so that there's always, um, so that these things, the way that you're spending the majority of your time, are more in, in alignment, uh, or the vibrational energy is is more in alignment and in in harmony with your surroundings. Plants don't have that, you know, don't have the luxury of moving, but plants are also stationary and only have to worry about growing outwards and upwards, whereas we're moving through our environment. So the purpose of these technologies in the life of anybody, uh, whether you're healthy or, or you are, are unwell, is to make it so that you're not swimming through this perhaps pathologic vibrational energy that's around us all the time as we put up more cell phone towers, we're blasting each one another with 5G, we've got Wi-Fi and Bluetooth everywhere, that perhaps is pathologic. And I think people are opening up to that. The problem is that they're going to the blocking technologies, which I see as very left brain. And I think that there's good reason to, to be thoughtful about that. If there's a cell phone tower next to your house, it's, that's probably not great for your health. On the other hand, if we're just going to block every source of... of uh, um, vibrational quality out there that perhaps we're going to be out of alignment with, then we're going to basically have to trap ourselves in a lead box and just never come out. Whereas I think this technology complements the fact that we are moving, we are, we are dynamic, we want to go across the world by, by airplane, we want to go to these different cities, and we have no idea what we're exposing ourselves to. So can you talk a little bit about the blocking of EMF versus the harmonizing of EMF? Because I'm sure that that question is coming up for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, there's a concept that you touched upon, which is why we have something like the pendant that you wear all the time, because really, that's what we say, wear it all the time. Yeah. And there is this, and, and that's because your body is in constant energy exchange with the environment. Now, it happens to be so other than by geometry, um, I'm also a, a certified building biologist. And so I took this with building biology. It's uh, to put it in a nutshell, but really, it's, it's how to get a building as close as nature to possible. Um, oh, that's awesome. It's like biophilic and, design. Is that, is that yeah, kind of there, tied in I mean, there? I, I haven't studied specifically biophilic design through um, building biology, 
But I would say that they're also aligned in the sense of in building biology, though, they would be looking more at natural building materials. Oh, I see. Um, like a breathable home, your home being your third skin um, versus enclosing yourself off from the environment. Now, the problem is, is that we've created these technologies, electromagnetic radiation, and we haven't created geopathic stress when you mentioned grid lines, but there's things in our environment that are making them worse, electromagnetic radiation being uh, one of them. And so there's this idea, okay, if you could avoid it, uh, if you could have, do, you know, if you tell me, should I sleep with my phone on airplane mode at night? Sure. Sleep with your phone on airplane mode at night. Definitely don't. It's, it's, um, that's one thing that's very easy for you to control, but there's a lot of other things. And we see that when I take, if you take a meter and go through your house, there's a lot of things that you actually, um, other than, like you said, through specific blocking technologies in the whole home, um, won't be able to address. Now, also geopathic stress is, is more complicated uh, to block than electromagnetic uh, radiation. And now I think also the idea is that electromagnetic radiation is also constantly changing. The environment is constantly changing. So one of the things that we focus on in biogeometry is actually how to change your relationship with the house or with your body so that we achieve this concept of a centered environment. That's first and foremost versus coming in and correcting specific things. And then we come in and when we look at electromagnetic radiation, the way that we look at it is when we, when we understand it, um, when we look for the qualities of electromagnetic radiation in the body, which we should find, right? We should find because things, even things like neurotransmitters and things like that, you should be able to find the same qualities of electromagnetic radiation as an, as an energy in the body as we would from a cell phone tower. I mean, it might be much more minute, but again, when I'm talking about qualities, I, I'm even referring to things like color qualities. Yeah. We should be, but what we find is that the man-made electromagnetic radiation from an energy perspective does not match that of the natural electromagnetic radiation of the body. Right. And right. so there's a stressful experience when we live in our environment, whether it's being on a grid line or whether it's exposure to um, the electro, uh, to the EMF. Now there's a lot of things related to the efficacy of certain, um, blocking EMF technologies that I think you really need to also be with somebody who can definitely measure these levels for you. And you need to really be diligent in not using something like a cell phone or anything wireless in the house and being, uh, very careful, but this is different from what we do, which is transform your relationship with EMF. And the best example I can give is that, um, and the most known example and where this, this actually the cube or the home kit that you mentioned was developed is in two towns in Switzerland where um, we had, there was a cell tower installed and the residents started complaining of health problems. Um, and not just the residents, but there was a lot of health problems faced with the cows in the area. And so, um, like mastitis and that type of thing, infections, uh, miscarriage. Yes. Lots of miscarriages. Um, and so my father was asked to come in and offer a biogeometry solution because he graduated from, uh, ETH, the federal Institute in Switzerland. And so he had a few uh, colleagues that knew of his work and, there was 
things, specific things done, some such as applying shapes to the back of the cell tower and just adding shapes on there. And then um, there was a independent medical report showing the before and after. And the residents then accepted Bidrometry as a solution and accepted keeping the cell phone tower. Whereas before, um, they were uh, kind of, they were threatening to blow it up. (laughs) (laughs) And it was made worse because it was in the church, which was the gathering area of the community. And and then there was a press conference. Wait, the tower was on the top of the church? Tower was inside the church. Oh my God. That's a far that's a far cry from the dome-shaped spires that we see in temples and mosques around the world that are emitting horizontal yeah. negative green. But it was wow. placed in, and then you go up like to get to it, like we go through the bell tower and up and um wow. and so it, it a week later there was a press conference and um they accepted by geometry as a solution. Now the interesting there was the interesting thing there was it wasn't just physical symptoms that they accepted by geometry as a solution for but mental and emotional symptoms too. Mm. stress fighting more with family, um, mm. just lots of tension, uh, lo- having a loss of a will to live. And so this, um, this was repeated in another, uh, town and this serves as we call it a quality of life study, because if we, if we understand it, um, that if we look at the residents before and after, um, and again, they were independently, their uh, symptoms were independently assessed. But if we look at their um, symptoms before and after, you just see this curve where before the biogeometry solution, this, most people were not there. They were not saying I'm symptom free. Most people were not saying I'm healthy. After the biogeometry solution, it changed to most people saying they're healthy. Most people saying they're symptom free. I'm not saying that it took care of every single thing, but um, it uh, it showed you how much of an impact environmental energy has hmm. on our health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the world is starting to open up to this idea because, because like you said, when we reduce it down to just physical ailments, sometimes we it, it's very, very hard to impact, let's say like wound healing. Like it's sometimes hard to really quantify that. But if you consider just how much tension and agitation there is in the world, as we started to lay down more telegraph cables in the early 20th century, more high-speed electrical you know, power lines throughout the, the, you know, the, the whole 20th century, and then now presently, over the past not even 30 years or so, have we really started charging the world with this, you know, what's now called 5G, but even before that, there's all these different waveforms now that are floating around us. And we see it as like a, a mental illness or something like that, where it's this physical thing. But what if it's something in our environment that's actually causing these things to happen? We still don't know why cancer happens. You know, the single oncogene hypothesis of cancer fell apart a long time ago. We still don't even know why people are so depressed and anxious, even looking at serotonin alone, this chemical deficiency of serotonin. That means that those drugs that help to prevent the uptake, the SSRIs, Prozac, Zoloft, all that, those should be working like a charm, but that isn't the whole solution. It works for some people, but it's incomplete. We owe it to ourselves as a society to demand to, for, for people like me and for, for anybody who's interested in this stuff to look outside of the box and to start considering, is there some other force at play here? And it sounds to me like 
when we start looking at things through the lens of bio, biogeometry, we start to unpack some other possibilities, which are certainly worth worthy of exploring, given even these isolated, you know, which what previously was very isolated examples across Switzerland and, and Germany. But y your father, and I mean, biogeometry has now been studied quite a deal. So um, is there a place on the website where you can review all of the studies? I can't remember. I've been collecting them myself, but is there is there a resource? Yeah, I mean, we, we have on the website, if you go in, um, there's a sample of some of the studies. If you just go to biogeometry.com or .ca, and then there's a part that says research and applications. But uh, there's also a, a Dropbox link that we have under the services home solutions um, that has a lot of the, the studies. It's called the Biogeometry uh, Research Portfolio. So anybody can just go to that page and get more extensive, yeah, a more extensive look at the studies. That, that's, um, of course, for the people that need to see the evidence before they try it. But I would always encourage people, you know, instead of spending five grand on all this EMF blocking technology, which might be really helpful. Why not just spend a couple hundred dollars, try this out and see how you're sleeping at night, see how your mood is, how you're just experiencing the world. And I think most people are going to notice a difference. Even if you are sleeping on geopathic stress lines or, or grid lines or whatever else, you're going to see a difference. Uh, Dory, I want to I shift our attention a little bit to some of the things that I do, birth and death. Can you um, share with me a little bit about what we were talking about, about some of the rituals in ancient Egypt, oh, ancient, let's also first qualify ancient Egypt, but some birth and death rituals, just because I think it's really fascinating stuff. And then maybe we can talk about how you're hoping that I'm going to be able to uh, apply biogeometry to either of these um, sacred rites of passage. I mean, I think, I think one of the things when we understand biogeometry is we, we try to bring in, um, we try to see how we can apply ancient principles in modern times. Now, this is important because if we were trying, if we were using the ancient rituals or the or ancient solutions, so to say, um, today, they might not necessarily address modern man. They might necessarily not necessarily address our problems today. Specific, I mean, there wasn't, for example, things like electromagnetic radiation, like we've just been speaking about. But when we understand the principles behind them, how they work, we can then use these to address the problems we're facing uh, today. So let me, maybe we can step back and just understand, first of all, in ancient Egypt, um, what was one of the things that applied to not just birth and death, but I would say every single activity possible. And that was to understand the sacredness of it. And to understand the sacredness of it. Now, if we, if we go back and we understand the different, um, gods and goddesses of ancient Egypt. If we if we step back and and not think of them as gods and goddesses, but rather energy qualities, each one holding a specific energy that you try to invoke or resonate with at a specific time, then we we can actually apply this principle to modern day, where we understand that there are all of these windows these applications that can that we can bring into our daily life and so this is so so to give um you know a very uh a very simple example you know a lot of times we do work where we open up our energy system 
So when we do this work, opening up our energy system, we need to be aware of the environment that we're opening up our energy system in. Because we open up our energy system without a way of being able to assess it, well, that's going to affect the result. So the way that we address that is by bringing in this centering quality. Mm. And so there's a lot of different, you can approach, the centering quality can be brought in in so many different types of rituals. Some people might be aware of specific farming rituals where you plant at a specific time, say specific words. Now, bringing it to birth and death, there's a few things there that come to mind. So one is um, understanding the importance of the beginning and the end of a life cycle. Okay, so the beginning and end of a life cycle, when we actually approach this, again, I'll try to actually do it from an, an, a simple example. When we're looking at a home, we find that the energy quality of the entrance of the home can affect the entire space. So we call this a threshold. We give examples of how thresholds in time and space affect the entire cycle. So the entrance of the home affects the entire energy movement of the home. So it's the same thing. The, en the energy at the birth of a cycle carries through for the entire cycle. Same thing at the end of a cycle. This is why also there's a lot of rituals associated with sunrise and sunset. Yeah. Now, when we look at um, childbirth itself, for example, there's a special thing that happens when a woman is pregnant is that she becomes a sacred power spot. So there's two, um, a lot of shapes that deal with when we're dealing with different levels, whether emotional, mental, spiritual, vital, physical, we deal with specific shapes that resonate with these levels. Well, usually the shapes of a container Okay, so we talked about domes, for example. These will be very much associated with things related to the emotional level. But if you flip it over and you deal with a container or a bowl, these are very much associated with a spiritual energy quality. Okay, so we can think of things like the uterus and the heart as being these containers. And so when a woman is pregnant, we say that the child is in the hands of God because you get so much BG3 in the body and that whole um that whole area of the body and we've even the there's a bisignature as well related to the um uterus shape mm -hmm. so at that time that when we talk about the divine feminine or the sacred feminine the woman the woman herself is very easily connected to these energy qualities so then we talk about well what about during the time of birth itself. So we, a lot of times we talk about um, even things like water births are, um, are approached in a way where it's a more natural type of birth for the child because, yeah, of, that of, changing, because of that changing um, in environment. Now, if we were to add to that, where even that water should have a spiritual energy quality. And this is, um, of course, we have techniques to do it in biogeometry, specific shapes that you can be adding specific, but even just the concept of prayer, and this doesn't have to relate to a specific belief, but even the concept of um, praying over that water itself will add to that experience because you're charging the water with this BG3 energy quality. So you're extending 
that moment. And sometimes also just the realization of the sacredness, whether it's a woman realizing it for herself or whoever is giving her the care, realizing the sacredness of the situation, acknowledging it is going to change the entire energy in the space. You're helping me. Uh, you're helping build my practice here right now. <laughs> so, and I, I'm I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek, but there's a reason that people are resonating with the the what used to be the standard in in birth keeping, which is the the wise woman midwi- midwifery model of care. But the reason that midwives midwifery care is so different from, let's say, a physician care people like me <laughs> in general, is that they're actually showing up. In resonance, or, or uh, yeah, in resonance with the essence of the birth, which is a sacred process. So, in other words, if you come at it as if it's a physical procedure, like a medical procedure, a physical illness, whatever else, and you're showing up with that, versus this is a beautiful, sacred unfolding, you actually are going to get two different outcomes, even if they're subtly different. There's going to be two different experiences there for both the the caretaker the birthing woman and her baby. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's what we're saying. But more than that is that then that experience is going to be affecting that entire life cycle right, right. of the child. And so, and again, I mean, I don't want anybody to think, okay, so if I haven't had this type of experience, I mean, we, one of the things we talked about is you're, you're always in resonance with the ability to affect and change the emotional mental quality. But that specific time of birth and when we and and that specific time of birth the energy quality of birth exists within death and death exists within birth so it's 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 guiding the entire life cycle and so just by understanding this concept now one of the things that we have lost as a society is this concept of the sacred feminine energy quality now this doesn't have to just be within a female or within a male. It's that concept of the energy quality of creation, of creativity, of movement that is formed from divine laws. And then that even goes back to this concept of what we said, that right brain perception, that left brain perception. When we talk about things such as um, a, a lot of times people talking about being intuitive. So this could just be related to being able to easily um, work with the divine laws of nature. Now we don't um, now what we do is we we bring this in, we make it easier by adding this quality of the sacred power spot. but at the time of birth, it's there for the woman. it's it's there. Wow. it's within her. yeah. And so this is an important um, I mean one of the things as well when we were talking about ancient Egypt, we were we were talking about the role of the female and male. And I was explaining that one of the, um, one of the, the shapes that we have, the Jed wedge, it's a, it's kind of a pendulum shape that we have, but we also use it to place on the body for different kind of corrective measures. And that shape, that pendulum, the Jed and the wedge, it's called the Jed wedge because the Jed wedge are two shapes that already exist um, in ancient Egypt. And the Jed is, is that of a male energy and um, going, I, I'll, I'll just go because there's a there's a mythological story related to this. So it's it's uh, the story of the Osiris myth, 
And basically in the Osiris myth, Osiris is murdered um, by his brother Set, and he's dis, uh, dismembered for his throne. Now, Aziz um, collects the parts of her partner and restores Osiris's body. Now, she there's one missing part, which is Osiris's reproductive um, organs. And so using her own energy on uh, Osiris's inert body, they conceive their son Horus. And this whole thing culminates in the ceremony of the Jed pillar. And so the Jed is um, symbolic of male stability. And that wedge, which you see a lot in the hands of um, Aziz, is related to female energy. And mm. when we study these shapes, that female energy has a creative movement type of energy quality. It even has a dome on top. We were talking about the importance of domes. Yeah. Um, and so they have to be combined in a specific way where to create that centering quality, where that wedge um, energy quality has to move through that jet shape, which gives it stability in order to get Horus, or at the end of the, the day for us, that's BG3 from the tip of those shapes. And this uh, is also another important myth or combination that explains the type of support and energy qualities happening at that time. So it's not just uh, at the time of birth, it's not just, we. you can't think of it as just the female Right. energy coming into play it's the female energy has the ability to animate the male energy and it's the combination of both that's happening at that time of birth and you can acknowledge that or respect it through you can see it as both the female and male partner being together in the space or just even within the female herself and so we we when we understand this concept of stability and support, we have to understand that it's not, uh, there's no type of, of control or change. It's really like what we just said. There's a stability and support that's expected at that time from, like we said, that, that male energy balancing them both together. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Um, this is why I wanted to have you on the show. You have a, uh, a, a, a uh, you have a way of describing these things that I think gives a lot of context to even how I speak about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. And I think that there is in the birth space, there's a lot of like the, the she woman man haters where it's like the divine feminine, we need to rise up and you know, the divine masculine needs to step aside. But I think that they're kind of missing the point here. And one analogy I've given people is if the divine masculine is two sides of the mountain, the divine feminine being the river running through, one can't exist with the other. In other words, the river gives a purpose. The river, the feminine, gives a purpose to the mountain, the masculine. And the masculine gives form and shape to the feminine. And they, they both are, are required in order for the yin and yang or whatever other tradition for, for life to emerge. And I would love to, can you talk really quickly about the Ankh as well? Because there's, it's, it's funny, there's like a, a, the, the male and female shapes from probably goes way back into Celtic traditions, etc. Those two shapes are, are formed into here. Um, but now I'm wondering, 
was this the original form of the the shape of the masculine and feminine? And how does that play into, like, what is the purpose of the Ankh and why does it look the way that it does? I mean, also just to, to go back to what you were saying about the, the male and, um, and female energy, it, it's important to understand that I think the, the reason that this is, is happening um, is that because a lot of times what women have to, the, the journey of women, and it doesn't have to be specifically, maybe even just looking at it as um, uh, male and female might be the wrong description, but a woman has to, to go to rise up from any type of suppressive energy to acknowledge and understand the the divine um, the the divine place that a female has. Now, the idea of that though is that you don't achieve that by suppressing the male energy, mm-hmm. um, because what happens is when we suppress the male energy, then it's a certain type of like we said that stabilizing energy that we're missing. So it's it's never about um, and this is going back to even when we were talking about blocking things versus yeah. um, how we approach things. It's always about transforming our relationship with them and acknowledging or, or being aware of how these do these energies come up in a suppressive way or do they come up in a supportive way? Mm. And it's the same thing for a female to realize when there's certain types of, and actually I keep saying female male, but these exist within all of us. Yeah. Right. But when there's certain types of creative energy coming out, is that, does that energy come up easily? Is it coming up productively Mm. for lack of a better word, positively, naturally. Um, And so by looking at these types of energies, we can begin to understand how we're supposed to, have our relationship with them where it's, it's never one being more important um, than the other. Now, when we're dealing um, with uh, the Ankh shape, so the Ankh is also um, seen as it's, it's actually uh, seen as more of a, you have the knot of Isis and then you have the Ankh and the Ankh is actually a symbol of protection. Um, and when, um, a symbol of protection in the way that you would hold it is that you would, um, uh, the tip of the ankh has an, an energy quality that's, uh, that would affect the person on the other side or weaken them. Whereas the top would, uh, the, the top would be protective. Now, this is also, um, so it, in a way it is a protection for the child as well. Symbol is mm. seen as um, in, in some tellings it's um, it's seen as uh, uh, a protection for the child in the story that I was saying, um, a, a protection of this, of the child in Isis's womb from Seth. Um, but now as well, we have to understand that with, when we look at a lot of the symbols, um, that there's also a lot of times you find uh, the the Isis knot was also seen as a type of protection as well during the 
time of birth. And so this, this really just comes down to also understanding that in all of the different types of symbolisms that were used, they, a lot of these symbols have a specific use, but they all have a, a female and male counterpart that we have to uh, bring in to um, play or understand. Yeah. I think related to birth and you, you sort of alluded this, to this earlier when I, um, you know, my, my two specialties are birth and death, but it kind of mm -hmm. cover everything in between. And in, when you're present and you're really paying attention in birth and death, you notice that there are some subtle magical things happening for lack of better terms. And I started also kind of conjecturing to myself, what if birth is the, is the end and death is the beginning? And then, of course, through some other experiences, I started also formulating some ideas around the infinity symbol. Perhaps these are one and the same. And we don't really, we love to think of things linearly, past, present, future, because, you know, our experience with something that, in, that happened in the past causes an obvious, there's a pathologic impact for many of us. You know, we feel unwell, we feel unseen, we feel guilty, shameful, etc. Can you talk a little bit about some of the the burial practices, death rituals in in Egypt, and how it reflects not a linear timeline, but a more perhaps open-ended conversation around um, who we are, where we're going, and where we came from. Yes, uh, I think. I mean, one of the things that we we have to look at when we understand um, death specifically. And we can and we can talk about when you say that you're looking at it as a type of birth. I think that's the perfect, um, you know, that's the perfect way of looking at it. There's actually this poem. It's always kind of stuck with me where you find it's like two babies talking in the womb, mm. and uh, and then they say like, um, you know, what's they're talking basically as if the birth is a death. You know, what's going to happen when we don't have oh, yeah. this life and this support and this? Uh, um, so I don't I don't want to. Uh, paraphrase, paraphrase the um, the poem, but it's it's very similar when we look at this from uh, when we look at it uh, as looking at death in the same way. But then there's this concept of death itself, um, not just only as a, as a rebirth, but then we look at when we talk about the burial rituals and different things like that. A lot of these are there's type of cleansing rituals, and so this is um, one of the things that cleansing rituals, which could be associated either with when we're dealing with the emotional mental level, we move beyond time and space, but some could be, could be dealing with helping to clear the energy related to the time of, of death or the whole life in general. But then from a biometry perspective, we look a little bit at what is it that remains? So if we look at the physical body being tied to linear time, we understand that the emotional mental body is not tied mm. to linear time. So emotional mental body is not tied to linear time, meaning you can, um, ex specific examples, we can think of the past. We can think of the future. So when um, emotional, when, when we pass away, we might lose the physical body, but the quality or content of our emotional and mental makeup is what remains. <laughs> and then we can understand. So, so think of it in a way where emotional, when we talk about emotional mental energy as well, it's very easy to understand these as energy because 
If we explain energy as the ability to produce an effect, it's very easy to see that our emotions and thoughts are a type of energy quality. Mm. So being that they are beyond time and space, at the time of death, the emotional and mental quality is that of all of the actions of our life. So the big thing that we talk about in um, in by geometry or the subtle energy work that we do is a lot of times where people think of if we understand that the body has many levels to it, that they think that the physical is the lowest. Whereas we find that the physical body that we're given is actually the, the biggest opportunity that we have through action to change our emotional, mental body in preparation for death. So when we understand it in that way, Death itself takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're not, I mean, a lot of times what um, a lot of people have a hard time dealing with is this concept of loss of something when we're dealing with death. Um, Now, of course, uh, some some ways of, of dealing with that is to understand things as a cycle of uh, life and death, but we also, we need to understand that that emotional mental energy is not tied to the physical linear time. So it doesn't, it doesn't dissipate. And so this is where we say that you completely shifted. And we kind of spoke about this a little bit beforehand, where we talked about in ancient Egypt, in ancient Egypt, it wasn't so much death, but shifting to resonance more with one level over the other. They acknowledge that you have an immortal soul. If somebody acknowledges that they have an immortal soul, this was part of the beliefs in ancient Egypt. If somebody acknowledges that they have an immortal soul, then you're not, you're just shifting from one resonance to the other. And this is how we see it from a biogeometry perspective as well, from a subtle energy perspective. We shift from being more in resonance with the physical body to being more in resonance with the emotional, mental body, even maybe going up to the spiritual body. Now this, I, the terminology um, that I use is applicable to many different types of belief systems. Um, I'm just giving, we, we understand them as vibrational levels. So I'm just giving one possible terminology of that, that we use. I just wanted to say what came to mind was when we sit and we does sound so new agey but there's there's something that feels so has always felt so right about it when we when we say i'm going to you know send peace love and joy into the world or i'm going to sit in what is it called um not dukkha it's um well anyways you know some of the some of these recycled meditative practices of sending love out into the world let's say or sending love inward let's say People have always thought that that's kind of woo-woo or whatever else. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking dark, negative things about yourself, that actually manifests in your how you show up in the world. So we know that that's true. But to qualify that through a, a, a spiritual science like biogeometry takes that to you know one step further. But what I'm hearing from you is that these are also like, this is a part of just the traditions of, around birth and death in ancient Egypt. It's, it's kind of just the way that you come into the world and the way you go out in the world. Like this is an inherent part of how you of how you see things, which I think is so 
it's so beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to explain it to anybody. It's just the way that it is. And I think, I mean, one of the things is, is in ancient Egypt that we can learn is just how to live in order to die, um, how to live in order to die, if you want to say the word properly or what it is. And that has to do with uh, living as a divine, living, understanding our divine nature. Right. And if you were to do that, because that's where this concept of the weighing of the heart comes in. And the weighing of the heart comes in where the heart is weighed against mat or the, or the feather of truth. Um, and this concept of cosmic order, of truth, of justice. But then when we look at what the values are and you see them, I mean, we had um, one special topic class where we said, you know, look, look at these values. How many people could say that they actually lived according to them? And, and nobody in that class was able to raise their hands. And we explained that this is because our society itself is not raising um, a society that lives according to divine laws or lives according to these natural forming process. And so this is where we can, like I said, come back. And this is what we can learn from ancient Egypt is that how do we bring this into every action, everything that we do. And I mean, one of the things, one of the ways that we talk about doing this uh, in biogeometry is we talk about uh, when we look at our energy systems and if we look at a culmination of our energy at the time of death, for example, it is a, it is a accumulation of the judgments that we've placed upon ourselves and others. And so we talk a lot about now these, these judgments how we can, how we have to live our lives, being able to, in every situation, see our judgment and step out of our judgment, move around the, all the possible judgments. And what mm. that allows, that's what allows, because a lot of times when we say living um, in, you know, living according to divine laws, living in nature, that doesn't make sense to us. Okay, it all sounds really nice, but how do we do that? And so this is one example where just pausing and trying to do that that allows for some of that right brain wisdom where we talk, that left brain always wants to come out and talk and react. Um, but that allows for some of that right brain wisdom to come in and have that centering effect to our judgments. And the reason that I say that it's an accumulation of our judgments, because at the end of the day, if we bring up any situation, so many people are going to react differently. And the way that they react, it's going to affect their energy quality. Now, now we can't say that one person's reaction is, is more correct than the other, but we can understand that there's certain types of um, reflections that are needed. For example, we talk about judgments that have passed or events that are affecting our emotional and mental energy quality, how we can accept those, how we can bring them into our energy system. So we, we've also been talking about disease. One of the things we talk about as well is understanding even this concept of disease. When we have a disease, we try to separate ourselves from it. That's not what we should do. Because look at the judgment that you've just applied on your body that is trying to do a corrective, um, a corrective solution for you. You've just separated yourself from that disease. Mm. And so we tend to treat the disease as a separate entity that we're trying to drive out of our energy system. 
you can't you can't approach it that way. Yeah. It's nothing separate. And it's reacting to certain things, things that you've placed your body in, whether it's the mm. environment, whether mm. it's an emotional mental situation. So it's when we understand that the way that we approach things and we can affect our relationship with everything around us, that's what whether it's our own judgments, whether it's the and diseases is the concept of realizing the judgments that society has placed on certain things. Right. So we said the word cancer. Right. So we, you know, um, we, we, in class, a lot of times we tell people, so if somebody has cancer and they're not aware of it, it's still there in their body. So you can think of it as an entity in your system. But then as soon as you find out that you have, and we say that word cancer, that word in itself carries so much implication for how you're going to start viewing your body and the types of judgments you're going to place. Mm. That word on itself makes it very difficult for a lot of people to say, I'm going to take the supportive route towards my body, towards what's happening. That word in itself makes it very much where we come in and say, I will um, drive this out of my system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can this be happening to me? The fight against cancer. Exactly. Wow. So Doria, um, what are some specific applications of the principles of biogeometry that you would like to see in either, well, why don't we just look at birth and uh, fertility, that, that type of space? Maybe may, name a couple applications that you, your intuition tells you this might actually be very, very helpful for what you're seeing in the world. I mean, I think one of the things that we spoke about is, is giving a child um, a sacred power spot to enter the world into. And this mm. doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be, like I said, using just um, biodrometry methods, but I think also there are certain things. I mean, there are certain things that I've seen that you do, such as empowering a woman, um, understanding as well. I think there's uh, as well as, as I mean, one of the things and this this might seem like a type of male energy. And that's what I mean by the stability where I've seen you call the female a warrior. And. That, for example, that that word, word warrior is exactly the word that I think um, is the type of male support mm. that the woman needs versus a patient. All right, a right? sick patient. person with an illness. Because, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that. It's a lot of times that we say pregnant woman, you know, somebody might say, okay, so we don't call pregnant pregnant women um, sick. We don't, but but a lot of times... Just the the hospital setting itself um, makes you feel like you are going in as a patient hmm. um, versus a rite of passage right. or uh, a type of ritual that that you're gonna really you know just the caterpillar coming out as a butterfly just changing yeah, yeah. Um, changing I think just and it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting into the controversy of what's, what's, you know, I'm not a doctor. So there, I'm sure there's some patients that this is better for them. Yeah. Um, but regardless of what this is, you don't have to, you can still acknowledge the whole experience and how to talk to a woman about it and what she's going through um, as being sacred. And then uh, another part, you know, when it comes to to death, I'd say also, uh, if we can have it as a type of celebration, mm. 
like like how we have birth as a celebration. But again, understanding death where you you if we just go back to the concept of um, of judgments and we and how I, we spoke about that a lot of times we're going to be playing this um, game our whole life where in every situation we place a judgment on it. We react in a specific way and that specific way affects our energy. And when I say affects our energy, that word is multidimensional. Mm. That's the energy that you have here. That's the energy you have in the afterlife. And so what we have to do now in, in our life is sometimes understand that there's uh when we talk about accepting your judgments or changing the way you see past events for a lot of students, one of the easiest ways to do that is to understand the lessons that we've passed. And it's never too late to understand these lessons. Um, you know, I think death as a type of, if we understand death as, as a type of reflection on the entire journey, hmm. uh, it's, it's probably the moment that's uh, the biggest learning um, learning point in our entire lives. Yeah. And it's the moment when we can shift everything. It's not the moment where we're uh, looking at our actions in regret. It's the moment where we can say, um, this is the lesson that I've learned. And I would have done this action like this because I understand this value. And I understand now that this is what I would have <sighs> brought in and so that on its own is the biggest shift because we see this in our in a kind of our, our when we talk in class you i mean you you know this where we have this concept of repairing the crack steps yeah and we go through and we clear this energy in the in the subconscious but this is probably the time when you have access to the subconscious completely and you're looking back and reflecting and it's this window this window where you can change everything and it might be hard for people to understand but it's also the window where you can change how you lived your whole life because the energy of death is, is the energy of that. We have the energy that we've had through our entire life exists at birth and exists at death. Now, of course at birth, it's, it's hard to understand how you can be empowered to change your entire life because you kind of think, well, I'm coming in as a, as a baby, how much? but then you understand that that empowerment happens at death. Yeah. Right. And they exist together. So for me, I mean, that's, that's the idea of, uh, of death and how I hope we can approach it is just to understand that it's this window to change everything. Yeah. My, my work in hospice, I'm oftentimes faced with the question, like, why isn't he going? Why, why is he still here? When is this going to end from the, the lens of the family who's not yet there? But you then look at the person who's dying and they're actually very much at peace. Even if they're gasping, even if they're wincing and rolling, like there's some hard work happening there. And it's only like, it's only, it's on us to just conjecture as to what that might be. But if you're paying attention, that, that hard work, I think is a part of the privilege of dying someday. We see it as the end, as the failure of all medical sciences when a human being dies. Yet I see it as the greatest privilege. That doesn't mean it's less scary. That sounds like that's going to be a tremendously hard transformation, perhaps even harder than birth, um, which a lot of women say, you know, if obviously that was the hardest thing I've ever gone through, especially if it's unmedicated and everything else. But we have this privilege of dying. And I haven't yet met somebody who put it into such a beautiful little box 
Because what you just said is exactly the language that we need to be bringing into the space as doulas or midwives of those who are passing away. And we're all doulas and midwives when our loved ones are passing away. So and, thank you for sharing that. And I think also, I mean, you see, you asked about the Ankh and, and um, I, I'd be wrong to say that it was either a female or male energy because you have a combination of both. That's yeah. why we go back to that Osiris myth. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a shape that we can bring up now perfectly for this example because it's a shape that relates to birth to death, to union, mm. and to resurrection. And so it's a shape that encompasses all of that. But I think also it's um, somehow we have to begin to understand because from an energy perspective, it's really easy. So a lot of times, because we grew up in the world of subtle energy where we learned to measure energy um, and energy of shape. And even like I said, just being able to measure the energy of just a line, for example, which is just a cycle on its own. Even things like you mentioned, the infinity um, symbol, the infinity symbol within it also has a way of um, clearing energies beyond when we go into a specific, uh, against a specific linear time pattern, because of the way that it's looped, you go clockwise and then clockwise, uh, counterclockwise, it helps to, um, it helps to, to, uh, to combine both. Yeah. Life-giving, death-giving, for lack of exactly. better terms. Understanding, yeah. Understanding, yeah. understanding that cycle. But even, um, uh, I would say one of the, the, the really good examples is just even understanding um, when we talk about the energy qualities, a lot of times we divide the energy qualities into clockwise uh, motion, which can be seen as a specific type of polarity, and counterclockwise motion. And the clockwise motion is physically um, invigorating, whereas the counterclockwise motion is physically depleting. So a lot of times people try to focus on the physically, the one of growth. Mm. But but it's, you don't actually get, the, the best way to get that aspect of growth is to have the combination of both. And so this actually relates a little bit to those maybe familiar with um, if you look at a torus shape in like a donut and how energy moves from counterclockwise to clockwise, everything feeds back Yeah, yeah. from moving into the spiritual, coming back into the physical, moving into the spiritual, coming back into the physical. And when we start talking about measuring different types of energies, it's very easy to see birth and death as the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just too difficult to articulate. Which is part of the mystique of the whole process, you know? The fact that I don't have the answer to this test, <laughs> to, the, to this question, is why we continue to talk and have these conversations. That's what this whole podcast is about. It's the, it's the unnameable, hidden truth that we all know is there. But to articulate that, whether it's in birth or death or anything in between, that's, that's, the, that's the, the mystique about, about being alive and being able to have these conversations. Um, and as we explore these topics and start to venture back into ancient traditions or even not so ancient traditions around birth and death, we start to really, as a society, start to formulate some of that language, which, which helps us all face our mortality, whether it's again in birth or death. You know, even the practice of the yin and yang in Chinese medicine, you can't just focus on the yin or just focus on the yang, because when you get into yang excess, it becomes yin. 
and the way that that physically manifests is if you're in young excess, you get your adrenals shut down and now you're forced to rest, which is the receiving. That's the yin. That's the, the acceptance, you know, like the recharge, the womb. And then of course, once you're in yin excess, of course that converts back into yang, but it's, but it's this constant ebb and flow where there isn't the right answer out there. It's how do you transmutate your vibrational energy and help to reharmonize with the surroundings. It's this transmutation back and forth, the vacillation, this flow that we see everywhere in nature. And we are no separate from that. And, um, and I do believe birth and death are the perfect, it's the perfect allegory, this life cycle, the perfect allegory for everything that you teach in biogeometry. I feel very privileged. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, just one more thing, because it, it comes to mind. I mean, again, from, like I said, we have a lot of biogeometry solutions. But there's also this concept of bisignatures, if we apply it, and we've been talking about um, ancient Egypt as well, uh, there's specific shapes out there that can be incorporated in um, in the life and, and death process. So one, for example, one of the shapes that we actually use to charge water is an egg shape. It's in specific proportions, mm. but the egg shape itself, the ankh, for example, also you find it related to yeah. the womb. Um, we have bisignatures related to that womb shape. Now it has to be done, like I said, in specific ways, just like we mentioned in ancient Egypt, the templates in specific proportions, but we can actually create, um, a shape, the shapes of the areas where we're giving birth could recreate the, the natural energy quality to support that the whole life and birth cycle or sorry, life and death cycle. So the same shapes are applicable to both birth and death. Is that what you mean? The, base, the same be, signatures? You can, you can use the same shapes for, for birth and death, but I also mean just in, in either one, acknowledging that these shapes exist. I see. Them. Wow, man. I would, I would love to spend another hour podcasting, but we are already at an hour and a half. I don't usually even go over an hour. So this has been really a privilege. I feel like I've got so many more questions that it, we didn't even get to. So maybe someday... Maybe when you and um, your husband's name is Omar, is that right? If I recall. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, yeah. beautiful soundtracks on Spotify. We'll link that in the. I've been listening to it ever since I I found him through you. Um, when you guys are on your fertility, your 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 family growth journey, you know to always reach out to me. I would love to to be able to support you from afar, and uh, or maybe I'll just move to Egypt as your midwife. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Welcome to move to move to Egypt and uh, and we can study everything. Uh, I mean, we were we were talking about things like those birthing bricks and yeah, yeah. We haven't even we haven't even gotten into that. That would be fun to explore in another interview. Um, well, Doria, thank you for spending some time with me. I know that um, you wanted to offer a code for listeners who want to dive into the foundations training. Do you just want to talk quickly about where they can um, go for that? Yeah, so they just go to uh, biogeometry.com and then courses and events. Uh, so my sister and I regularly offer courses um, now online. So this has been a new thing online. Mm -hmm. And they, anybody can use the course um, Beloved 75. Beloved, to, Beloved 75. Yeah, to get a, to get a discount on the class. Um, so just once they register, they would just reply back to the email and say, hey, Beloved 75 code. And begin to study this world of biogeometry. That's amazing. I, I can't recommend it enough to everybody out there. And there are specific shops. There's one in North America out of Canada. Is that correct? BG Shop yeah. Online, I believe it is. 
Um, you can yeah, go there. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There's a few. If people go to products on our website and they go to official retailers, they're going to find them okay. all over. Um, and so they'll be able to see the pendant and see kind of more up close. Um, we've been talking about the pendant, but see an up close photo of it and the shapes on there. And people who have been interested in things like um, the the biosignatures, there's a book and they're there. Yeah. Um, you know, for any female listeners there, I can tell you that the female organ biosignatures have been a lifesaver for us and have been, um, I mean, those biosignatures, when we've had friends with any types of growing up with any types of issues with like cramps or anything like that. I remember my, my sister was on a work trip and she had a colleague and they were supposed to go out to a work dinner and she was like, I, I can't make it my, I'm just having something's going on. Cramps are insane. I'll, she said, listen, I'm going to do something, but we don't have time for me to explain. So just let me do it. And, <laughs> and we'll talk about it later. That's probably the best approach for, in many cases. Just let me do this and we'll talk about how it works later. Just see how it, how then, it goes. Uh, yeah. So she just took her arm and drew their bisignatures. They're like five or six for the female organs. And, and um, we all have them memorized and she just drew them. And then the pain went away in like 15 minutes. And so I think just uh, if if anybody's suffering from that, that's something really easy to try. Just just try that. Yeah. Just draw them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, if you're if anybody out there is looking to balance their home and you don't want to spend 100K on blocking every source of po possible magnetic or electrical radiation in your home... Uh, one easier solution, at least it can't hurt, is to go and pick up a home kit from one of the shops mm -hmm. online. That's what I started with. And then um, I've bought since then multiple, you know, window stickers and attachments for doorways, electrical panels, plumbing. I just bought some copper wire that I'm going to experiment with on our water uh, in, intake and uh, even natural gas, just because I'm just curious. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. But all of that is available online. Um, but is it biogeometry.ca? Yeah, I mean, by geometry.com, just redirect. Or .com, that's right, that's right. So it doesn't, either one. Right on. Well, Doria, thank you. I'm sure we're going to be having more conversations. I'm taking the yeah. advanced class in November, so we'll see each other again yeah. soon enough. Yeah. But please stay in touch, and thanks again for spending some time with us. No, thank you for having me. Alza la frente en alto y camina bien. Alza la frente en alto. Alza la frente en alto y camina. Alza la frente en alto. Alza la frente en alto y camina bien. Alza la frente en alto. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I am so blessed to be able to to do this, to do this show, and to meet people like Doria, who was, by the way, introduced to me by Paul Check. If you want to know a little bit more about Doria and Ibrahim Kareem's work, they were both interviewed several times on Paul Check's show, Living 4D. Most recently, Paul interviewed uh, Ibrahim Kareem, Doria's father, for his 200th episode. He saved the 200th episode for... Ibrahim Kareem, because this guy is is such a genius. He's a living genius. So embrace <laughs> what he's got while he's still here to teach it. He's got three books. One is on um, biogeometry signatures. The other one is called um, Back to a Future for Mankind. It really talks about sort of the history and a lot of the stuff you would be learning in the foundations course. But the benefit of taking the foundations course is that you get to work with somebody like Doria directly. And um, 
for now, they are offering a discount. If you if you use code BELOVED75, sign up for the Biogeometry Foundations course. It's all online. doesn't matter where you are in the world. When I took the course a couple months ago, there were people from like literally every time zone in the class. And they're all incredible healers. They all have their own experience and their own practices that you can learn from. There's everybody from veter- veterinarians to acupuncturists to doctors like me. So um, two total lay people who, who are just super interested in, and open-minded enough to embrace something like this. So the code for that is BELOVED75 if you want to check out Biogeometry's Foundations course. And then um, there also is an online Biogeometry store to pick up. uh, What I wear is the Biogeometry's um, Signatures Pendant and the L90 Pendant. I wear them together on a cord, and I I keep it on day and night. You have to take it off and clear the pendant uh, once a day, but it takes like 90 seconds on each side of the pendant. It's super easy. Um, they are offering a discount, 8% off. The code is on belovedholistics.com slash shop. You'll find it. It's it's three quarters of the way down the page. Remember, this is not the same as, as, as blocking EMF. It's impossible to do that. There are ways to do that. Check out Luke Story's EMF Masterclass, which is also linked in the show, uh, in the uh, on the shop. Um, there's a 10% discount with my link. That's great for blocking. You also want to continue to consider how can I mitigate or harmonize EMF so it doesn't hurt my body. Because naturally, when you're going across the country, you're flying in airplanes, you're in the grocery store, you're going to be exposed to this stuff. So protect yourself as best you can. And uh, that link, of course, uh, for the Biogeometry Online Store is also on my website. I've got their home kit as well. I've got two of them, and I've got everything decked out. I have my, I've got my all of the bedrooms color balanced. I've got all of the grid lines mitigated through some basic attachments that uh, go on your baseboards. But the home balancing kit, you don't even have to take the course to understand how it works. There's instructions in there. There's the, the, the piece of furniture. This little cube is so beautiful. We don't mind having it laying around. It's just an awesome little thing to have. It's a great conversation starter as well because people are like, what on earth are you into now? And I'm like, I'm into optimal health, aren't you? And they're like, yeah, tell me more. So <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, go go buy some of Ibrahim uh, Kareem's books as well. You know, I mentioned those two. He has a third book coming out that um, I don't actually have the title for it yet, but it's really going to be sort of the final chapter in helping to illustrate the science, uh, the physics of quality and the science of biogeometry bio- for anybody out there who's interested in the future, in the future of human health. Thank you, Doria, for spending so much time with me for this episode. I'm so grateful Guys, support the show in three ways. You can either leave a five-star review on iTunes. It takes five seconds. If you've already done that, spread the word. Spread these episodes around. It really, really helps to get the numbers up and for sponsors to, and uh, and for, for people in iTunes to realize, like, this is, this is a show that is here to stay, and we're bringing some very unique conversations in a way that only a, a holistic OBGYN can do. And then lastly, support our sponsors. Fit for Birth provides pregnancy and postpartum specific nutrition and exercise coaching to pregnant and postpartum women, but also will help in to deepen the toolkit of any Czech practitioner, holistic lifestyle coach, um, acupuncturist, midwife, whoever out there wants to have some additional tools in catering exercise and nutrition to their pregnant and postpartum clients. So that's good. Getfitforbirth.com slash beloved. You'll save 20%. And then by optimizers, they make this incredible product, Mag- Magnesium Breakthrough, which contains seven distinct types of magnesium, helps you get to sleep. It helps you stay asleep and helps you wake up feeling your most rested so you can hit the ground running the next day. And if you buy more than one bottle at magbreakthrough.com slash holistic OBGYN, use code beloved10, 
And if you buy three bottles or more, you're actually going to get some extra freebies. They're going to throw in Masszymes and P3OM. Masszymes is a digestive aid. P3OM is, the, is an incredible probiotic. They're going to throw those in extra. They're so confident that, they're going to, that they work and that they're going to work for you. That they're like, you know what? You're taking a chance on us. Have these freebies. We know you're going to love them. And for five, five bottles or more, you're also going to get a bottle of their HCL, which is essentially encapsulated stomach acid, which will help digest your food, support your microbiome, support your, your bone density, support all of your organs. Because if, you, if, you're, if your digestive system and your microbiome are operating um, optimally, you're going to get the most bang for your buck when you eat that, that organic produce and that grass-fed, grass-finished beef and that biodynamically raised whatever it is that you're eating. You got to keep your gut healthy. You got to optimize your digestion in order to, to maximize your nutrient intake. Remember everything on this episode on, on this episode and every episode of the show is educational. We're a 501c3. If you do want to work with me and get actual medical advice, go to belovedholistics.com. I work through a private association. It requires a $43 annual donation and then you get access to my menu of service. I do one-off consultations. I sell packages of my time. And, you know, if it took you 10 years to develop this issue and you're finding me because your doctors and everybody else didn't really know what to do, we'll get you there. And it's, but it's probably going to require more than just one consultation. So definitely consider buying the package. I don't really need to sell people on that because I'm actually overwhelmed right now with uh, people wanting to work with me. But I'm just telling you just to save you some money. Doing a one-time consultation is generally not going to be enough, whether it's chronic pelvic pain or it's fibroids, or it's abnormal periods, um, pregnancy issues, pregnancy concerns, postpartum concerns, issues related to the transition through menopause. All of those things are going to require more than one consult. So you can get it all there. If you want to do a one-off, that's totally fine with you know by me. I don't care. I just want everybody to have access to me. I also have my collaborator program there. People like Sarah Gustafson, who's uh, married to Alex Rubchinsky, our, uh, our uh, last guest, and gosh, so many midwives and other coaches out there have joined the program and I've learned so much from them. They, in exchange, they get an MD in their back pocket to curbside any question, review these labs, review these imaging, what would you do next? What do you think about this, this prior surgery, this operative note? Um, what would you do in this case? I'll give you my best shot in order to be able to, for you to be able to provide the optimal care for your clients. So that's my collaborator program. I think that is all for me, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. The next episode of the Holistic OBGYN podcast will be another dear friend of mine, Christine Laria. She's an international midwife, has been to way more births than I have, I think, and certainly way more breech births. She travels the world and works in some of the most underserved communities, including refugee camps in South Sudan, where there's not even a surgeon available. So everything has to be done by the midwife. And everything shy of a C-section is Christine Laria's jam. Um, in fact, it's so hard to get a surgeon there that, that they pull off all sorts of miraculous things in birth in order to make sure mom and baby stay safe when possible. But she's also experienced a lot of death and a lot of, of really hard times in attending to birth. So this is not an episode you want to miss. She is a, a real gem and, and a, a really, really important person to be alive in today's age. So I'll see you next time. Episode 83 with Christine Laria on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care, everyone. Alza la frente en alto y camina bien, alza la frente en alto. Alza la frente en alto y camina, alza la frente en alto. Alza la frente en alto y camina bien, alza la frente en alto. Alza la frente en alto.